Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you in the house of God today. No better place to be on a Sunday, amen? should have an outline, and uh, last week I, I uh, began a, a message that I make into a two-part. Uh, this is really the tail end of our, outre- or our messages called The Sword of the Lord, where we're talking about God's Word. And uh, I talked last Sunday about can the Bible be trusted? How many of you believe the Bible can be trusted? Amen? Well, we, we looked last week uh, at, at two of the reasons why it can be trusted. And if you weren't here and want to find out, check our website out. Uh, it, the message is right there for you. But I want us to go back to the scripture we used last Sunday. I want you to follow along with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. And uh, while you turn there also, let me just say how good it is to have all of you joining us online. Uh, you know, I took the time to go through our Facebook um, followers, and we have, uh, I think I counted about 18 nations of uh, people that are following us online. Many, many in the, the, the nation of Africa, there's... Ghana and Malawi and Tanzania, all, all, all Nigeria, all sorts of different places. We have people in Haiti, people in Colombia, people in Dominica. Uh, so people are, people are watching over the world, and we, we welcome you today. The Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, let me just see. How many of you, the Word of God, you have been taught? How many of you, the Word of God has reproved you of something that you need to change? How many of you, the Bible has corrected you? You were on the wrong way. How many of you, it has trained you? And so, this is what God's Word does. And I want you to notice it's multifaceted. Uh, another scripture says it's like a two-edged sword, not just a single edge. It's a double edge. And a double-edged sword works better than a single edge because it's able to go into the soul and the spirit. It's able to judge your thoughts, the Bible says, and the intents of your heart. And then it goes on, and it says that the man of God or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that's what God wants us to do, Right? You know, the Bible in the book of Acts says that Jesus, he just simply went about doing good. That's what he, that's what he came to do. And that's what he sent us to do. And uh, today I want to share with you, um, for those who may doubt that the Bible can be trusted, I want to go on a scientific basis, okay? Because I know sometimes those are, those are the minds that kind of have trouble with inspired Word of God. How can this coincide with science. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because the Bible is the, one of the best scientific books there. In fact, it is the most uh, ancient scientific book that I know. And so uh, in, in their book, The Bible, Science, and Creation, the authors are named Matthew Coder and George Howe. And in their book, they, they, they contend that the Bible is the only ancient book that is accurate in all scientific details. 
And I'm going to walk you through some of them today. I've given you an outline that is fairly detailed, and we're going to walk you through some of these scriptures here. Um, those of you who are Swahili brethren, sisters, I've, I've put those scriptures also on, on a page so you can follow right along with, with us as we read them in English here. The Bible um, gives us a lot of different things, and we're going to look at just a minute. But I want you to understand something. There is a man, many of you have heard about him. In fact, many of you may have read him, some of his works, and his name is Plato. Anybody ever hear this philosopher? Let me tell you what Plato believed about the world. The philosopher Plato believed that the world was a living soul. Okay, he believed that it was a vast and visible animal and that earthquakes resulted when this creature shook itself. That's what Plato believed about the world. The Greeks, philosophers, sometimes all they did is sat around all day long talking about philosophy. Paul walked in on them in Athens, up at the Mars Hill, up at the Areopagus, and he began to talk to them, and they would just spend all day long listening to philosophy. And the Greeks believed, and you've probably seen this, they believed that Atlas stood on the earth holding up the heavens with his head and his arms. Did you know that Moses would have been taught this Egyptian belief that I began to share with you a little bit last week, that a sun god was born on a flower from an egg on the ocean, and that this sun god had four children. Now, this is Egyptian theology. Okay? So this sun god, born on a flower from an egg on the ocean, had four children. And see if you know of any of these names or have heard of these names. Moses would have been taught this. Two of those children were named Shu, S-H-U, and Tefnut, T-E-F-N-U-T. Shu and Tefnut together made up the atmosphere. They planted their feet on the first child, Geb, that they called the earth, and they raised their sister, Nut, the sky, to the heavens. So Geb and Nut, the earth and the sky, had four children. Their names was Osiris, Isis, anybody heard of her? Nephthys, and Seth. Osiris marries Isis and with her governs the earth, but later is murdered by his jealous brother, Seth, who in his rage cut Osiris' body into pieces and buried them in different parts of Egypt. Isis collected all these scattered fragments and aided by the jackal god Anubis, resuscitated the body of Osiris. Osiris, however, was unable to return to earth, and he remained in the underworld as a god of the dead and a judge of souls and people say the Bible's hard to believe. Now, follow me on this. 
Moses, who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, would have been taught that up through about age 40 at least. He would have been taught that as he was raised in the home of Pharaoh. This is what he would have believed before God began to speak to him. And I bring up the books that he wrote because Genesis is one of the books in, that he wrote in the Bible, and that is where we find what God says he did when he created the earth. Now, I want to ask you, which is harder to believe, what you just heard about Egyptian theology or God's Word? Acts chapter 7 and verse 22, if you want to check this out, I don't have that scripture down for you, but you'll find that it says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, yet he kept his, that fanciful account that he was raised with out of Scripture. You will not find that in the book of Genesis because it is not factual. It is not godly. It's not, why did he do that? Because it's not God-breathed. He didn't put it in there because God didn't breathe it. I've already told you God's Word is God-breathed. Are you with me? Yet the Book of Mormon and the Quran, many, they, they contain many odd things that are never proven, and they're even incorrect. And I bring those two up because oftentimes we will find Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or Islam on the same plane being treated on the same level as Christianity. But I want you to know something about the founder of Islam, Muhammad, he died. And he never rose again. Jesus died, but he rose again. And we know he rose again because we have eyewitnesses to it that wrote about it when it happened. So what I'm saying to you today is the sacred books of Scripture were God-breathed. Now, Hindus, the sacred books of the Hindus, listen to this, have around at least 330 million gods. They say that the moon is 50,000 leagues higher than the sun and shines with its own light. Now, I want to ask you this question. Is that scientific? Does the moon shine by its own light, or does it reflect? It reflects, doesn't it? In a book titled Science Speaks by Peter Stoner, and I'm giving you all of these things so you can check this out, Science Speaks by Peter Stoner, it says that the 13 things listed in the book of Genesis, the creation account, are in the same order in which geology finds them, which he says would be possible by only a chance of 311 million 351,040. How many of you would like to take a chance that the Bible isn't true? And when it, when it describes it, it describes it in the order geology finds it. In a day when people thought the earth was flat, y'all remember that? Even up to the voyage of Columbus in 1492, the Bible taught this opposite truth in this scripture, look at Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22. We find in, in the Bible 
the spherical shape of the earth. The Bible says it is He, God, capital H, who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He who stretches out the heaven like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. But notice that it is He who sits above the what? Circle. If people would have just opened up Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22, and it was around in Columbus's day, they could have seen that the earth is a circle. And it is, isn't it? We've seen, we've seen photos of it. Looks like a big blue marble up there, blue and white marble. Also, watch this, and I'm just going to I'm going to just take you through each of these scriptures. The Bible says that the earth is suspended on nothing. Job chapter 26, 7. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. The Bible also goes on and says in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5 that the stars are innumerable. innumerable. He takes Abraham. He took him outside and he said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. Another scripture says the stars are innumerable. And then that's when God promised him. He said, so shall your descendants be. And those are the people of Israel today. The Bible also goes, tells us about the existence of valleys that are in the sea. In 2 Samuel twenty two sixteen, it says the valleys of the seas were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of breath from his nostrils. The existence of springs and fountains in the sea. Watch this in Genesis seven eleven, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. In Genesis 8-2, it says, Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed at the end of the flood, and the rain stopped falling from the sky. In Proverbs 8-28, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed. Proves that there are springs even in the ocean. The Bible goes on and it talks about the water cycle. Look at Job 26, 8. Or actually, I'm sorry, the existence of water paths. Now, we call them ocean currents. Anybody ever say Finding Nemo? And be able to watch Finding Nemo and the turtle? He's checking out the current. He's wanting to go to that current. Yeah, that's what it's talking about here. Watch this in Psalm 8, 8. The birds of the sky and the fish of the sea Whatever passes through the paths of the seas, those are the currents. The Bible goes on in the water cycle, Job 26, 8. It says that he, God, wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the cloud does not burst under them. It goes on in Job 36, 27, and 28. For he draws up the drops of water, they distill rain from its celestial stream, which clouds pour down. And they drip upon mankind abundantly. That's the water cycle that you learned about in science. It's in the Bible. It was always in the Bible. It's always been there since it was written. When you go in uh, Psalm 135 and verse 7, it says that he causes the mist to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his treasuries. 
You look at Ecclesiastes 1, 6 through 7, and it says, Blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. When you look at um, Genesis one twenty one, you'll find that the, there is the fact that all living things reproduce after their own kind. Why doesn't a chicken have a pig? Why doesn't an apple tree bear bananas? Why don't humans have goats? Because you reproduce after your kind. Watch this. Genesis chapter 1, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. You go to Genesis six nineteen. you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. It even shows us how God created the sexes, male and and female. Now, there's too much to share about the sanitation and sickness and the nature of health, but if you look at Genesis 17, 9 through 14, you can read that, and all of Leviticus 12, 13, and 14, all of those chapters talks about sanitation, health, the way to live, what's good to eat, what's not so good to eat, what'll do your body harm. And then the concept of what science would call entropy, or that energy is running down. Look at Psalm 102, 25 through 26. You getting anything out of this? In time of old, you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will pass away. So, What's interesting is, you know, God has revealed these things, and he revealed them to these men. How did they know? Because he breathed it into them. Now, I want to say this. Are these men that traveled to all of these great, great spots? No. Some of them may have never even been where the sea was. Some of them never were up. In the heavens. Some of them were not down deep. None of them at that point would have even been down deep enough into the ocean to be able to have seen it. But science has found it to be true. And like I shared with you last week, when, when uh, people began to doubt that there was even a Hittite race, they believed that for many years that the Bible was wrong, that there were no such things as Hittites, even though the Bible mentions it over 40-some times. And yet in 1906... Archaeology unearthed it, and it was there. Always had been. And the Bible was right, and science was, the scientists were wrong. So scientific evidence. If you want to bring up science and you want to really truly talk about science, the Bible is good science. Amen? So we have scientific evidence. The fourth thing is we have historical evidence. All the things that you believe, if you believe the Bible, are historical fact. In fact, I want us to kind of get, uh, we, we really need to kind of remove this saying from our lips. I want to tell you a Bible story. 
Because what happens is, is when you begin to tell a child and you open up a book, I'm going to tell you a fairy story. Or I'm going to tell you a fable. We're going to read a little story. You know, many times those children know those stories are just stories. But this is historical fact. So I'm not going to talk to you about the creation story. I'm going to talk to you about creation fact. It's the historical fact that the earth was created by God, that mankind was created by God. I believe it's easier to believe that I came from God drawn in the ground out of the dust, a human, and breathing life into it than I do that I came from some amoeba out of the earth that flopped up onto the earth sand and began to grow legs and or there was a big boom and big bang. Why? Because check out the minerals that are in our body. Check out the way your body, what it contains, it's found in dirt. Find out what happens to a body once it's dead. It goes back to what it was made out of. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So we have historical evidence. Historians, uh, let me just say this too, not just scientists, but historians have criticized the Bible as being filled with errors historically. But in our lifetime, we've seen them proven false. We've seen them proven false. For example, some linguists rejected the fact that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He said he couldn't have done that. They said people didn't know how to write during his day and age. But then came along the Tel El uh, Amarna tablets, and they discovered these, guess where? In northern Egypt. Tablets that contained business transactions of people in Palestine centuries before Moses was even born. So people were writing back then. People were communicating back then. Moses did have a written language. Many thought that Daniel's story of Belshazzar was wrong. Remember when he sees a hand writing on the wall? They said, that's not even a true. That, that, there was nobody by the name of Belshazzar. That's wrong. There's no record of that Babylonian king. They said that Nabonidus was the last Babylonian king. But guess what? An archaeologist uncovered a clay tablet, tablet whose cuneiform record, uh, record indicates this, that Belshazzar was Nabonidus' son. The tablet from his day recorded it, and he was co-regent. How many of you know what that means? Co-regent means you're ruling with them. So Belshazzar is co-leading with Nabonidus. They say Nabonidus was the last guy, but he had a co-regent, his son, Belshazzar, with him. Guess what? Who was wrong? Who was right? The Bible was correct after all. I could keep on going, but we have scientific proof. We have historical proof. Now I want to give you prophetic proof. He said, well, now how can prophecy be proof? Because when prophecy comes true, thousands and years or even more later, 
it reveals and shows that what God says is what's going to happen. Where was Jesus born? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem of Judea. Guess where his parents lived before he was born? Guess where Mary conceived? She's not in Bethlehem. They're up in Nazareth. How did they get to Bethlehem? How was he born in Bethlehem, and why, not was, he, why was he not born in Nazareth? Because there was a census taken at that time by Quirinius the governor, who people, historians said, wasn't, wasn't there. And I showed you last week where he was. Archaeology unearthed that Quirinius was governor. And they had to go to Bethlehem. Ladies, we've talked about this before. Mary made that trip while she is at least late eight, early ninth month of pregnancy, easy. And she has Jesus where he's been prophesied for thousands of years that he was going to be, and he's born there. Do you know what the sign of a false prophet is? What is the sign of a false prophet? His prophecy doesn't come true. What's the sign of a true prophet? His prophecies come true 100% of the time. So prophecy is true 100% of the time. Now I want to come at this point from the principle of probability, and then I'm going to close. I want you to suppose with me today that one man in every ten is bald. Okay? You with me? And one in every 100 of them has lost a finger. What are the chances of a man being both bald and missing one finger? Well, what you do is you would take 10 and, and multiply it by 100, and the answer would be 1 in 1,000. Okay? So that's what we're going to use here. That is the principle of probability. And I'm going to give you some principle of probability of prophecies in Scripture coming true. If you will go through the Bible, this will take you some time, but if you go through the Bible, you will find some around 333 or thereabouts prophecies in one person. Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to give you the probability of that happening in the world. I can't even comprehend this number, but by sheer coincidence of 333 prophecies happening in one person, it would be one in over the number 84, and if you know math, it would be the number 84 and then followed by zeros to the 123rd power. So that would mean you would have a number that is 84 with 123 zeros after it. That is the probability of the 333 prophecies about one man coming true in the world. I'm just talking mathematics. Now, if you took... 
forget about the 333. Are you with me? Because I know our minds are going to explode trying to figure that out. But I just want you to take, is everybody okay with just eight? Let's just take eight. Eight of those prophecies concerning Jesus being fulfilled in one man by chance would be the equivalent to covering the now state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars with one of those silver dollars marked. Then you would blindfold a man, send him to the state of Texas, and tell him you have one chance to pick out the marked dollar. That's just eight. How many of your minds are still blowing? Can I give you some news today? Jesus fulfilled all 333 prophecies, and he did some of them while he's on the cross. The one where it said he thirsts, that was a prophecy. And you know what was prophesied that they would give him when he said that? The very thing that was given to him. Sour wine. Church, I want to say this. 33 of those 333 he fulfilled on the day he went on the cross. It was not by chance. So let me close with this. Suppose I gave you 100 pieces of paper today before you left. And then you go home and you hide those 100 pieces of paper carefully around your home. Meanwhile, I'm being closely watched by several of your trusted friends to see that no trick is being pulled. And then when all the pieces of paper were hidden... I'm not even there, but then I drive to your home this afternoon after you've done this, and I systematically tell you in order from 1 through 99 where every piece of paper was hidden and never once was wrong. Without one failure, without one mistake, I want to ask you this. Would you believe that I could tell you where that final piece of paper was hidden. I would ask this, would you dare risk your life on it? Would you risk your soul on it? Would you risk eternity on it? This is what God says about His Word. God says that it's God-breathed. The Bible says that He moved through His Spirit upon men of old. Between 40 to 50 men over a period of over 1,500 years. And never once did Mark violate what Moses said. Never once did David get misquoted by Luke. And this is what God says. 
For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that without Jesus, we are sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everyone listening today, you're a sinner. When we're born into this world, we're born into sin because of what our first parents, Adam and Eve, did in disobeying God. But if we will accept what God also said is that He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. John 3.16, right? If we would do that, He would forgive us of our sin. He would come and live inside of us. He died to save you and me from the fate of a sinner, which is the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want to ask you this before I close. Everybody listening, will you risk everything forever that this is not true? Would that be a reasonable, intelligent decision? Remember, everything Jesus said, 33 things that he said as he was being crucified had been prophesied that he would do. One of the things he said that the disciples never could quite grasp was that three days later, they're going to kill me, but three days later I'm going to rise again. And they didn't comprehend it. They didn't understand it. Even after he had done it, they didn't realize it. But they went to where they buried him, and they knew where he was buried. And he wasn't there. The stone was rolled away. That's why Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is such a big thing to a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me share one more. Do you remember what Jesus tells one of his disciples, Peter? Now, this is somebody that really loved Jesus. And he said, you know what, Lord? Though all deny you. I'll never do that. What did Jesus say? He said, Peter, before the cock, before the rooster, Chris, you're going to deny me three times. And Luke captures it so well that the Bible says that as Jesus is being taken by this group of people standing by a charcoal fire warming themselves, there's a woman who says, you were with them. And Peter said, no, I wasn't. Time number one. And they went back to warming themselves, and after a little bit while, she said again, no, you were, I know it was you. And he's like, woman, I wasn't. And before she's all done, she looks at him and she says, yeah, you were. You were with him. And he curses. And the rooster crows. And this is what the Bible says in the book of Luke. Luke's account of it, it says that Jesus stops. And he looks at him. Here's the man he's been with for over three and a half years. And he's denied him. Who was right and who was wrong? 
So I'm saying to you today, folks, a million years from now, you'll be somewhere. Where will it be? In Scripture, there's only two places, heaven and hell. Heaven if you receive Him, hell if you don't. And here's the thing. It's your choice. Bow with me. Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts right now all over this place and all over the Internet. I pray, Lord, for the scoffer, for the mocker, for the one who says it's just a bunch of baloney. I pray that you'd convict their heart. I pray that you get your heart into their heart. Father, I pray that your love would permeate them. I pray that you would break the pride. I pray that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. I've done what I know to do, Lord. I've shared your word. Now I ask you, Holy Spirit, to do what I can't do. Speak to hearts. And change them, I pray, in your precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week. Go your way, knowing that God's word's true and you're based on a foundation of of truth. God bless. Yeah.